Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women. Great grandmothers, mothers, daughters, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know we dig deep and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time, each month we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yes, I said you. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us that there are so many things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. No matter how hard judgment knocks, it will not get in. Beloved, we live here beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. And every week we start right where we are. I am so excited about how the show is progressing. We are celebrating the fourth month of proof that dreams can come true. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence and your encouragement. They're the kind of gifts that inspire. You know I can't do this without you, right? So thanks. Our theme this month is The Gift is in the Giving. We are shifting our paradigm from thinking of gifts we receive wrapped in beautiful, shiny paper with ribbons and bows, our sparkling gift bags, our gift cards, our cars and bikes, and everything we think is nice and might have asked for. This month, we're focusing on the gifts that live inside of each of us, the gifts we're born with to be discovered and nurtured and given away. I like to turn some of my favorite talk to, read, and share some of my favorite writers each month and what they have to say about our theme. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Gahil Gibran, the prophet, writes, You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Francis Burnett, in the book, A Little Princess, I love this one, says, if nature has made you for a giver, your hands are born open, and so is your heart. And though there may be many times when your hands are empty, your heart is always full. You can give things out of that, warm things, kind things, sweet things, help and comfort and laughter. And sometimes, gay, kind laughter is the best gift of all. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. A dear friend once said to me, Tyra, you're born, and then you die. However, it's in the space in between, you know that dash, where you write your story and give your gifts. I always say that each of us has a story. I also believe each of us is a story. And all of us are gifts to the world. Our second show this month presents stories and gifts through another unique lens. We're going to talk about safe havens, opportunities to grow and thrive, overcoming, repositioning, and hope. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our program on our YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. And if you just feel like you want to 
talk to me offline, that's easy, and you know I'd love it. Email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm Listening. Although today's stories are not what I would call happy talk, it's conversation that's necessary. Picture this. David has been homeless since age 12. He first started couch surfing, but by the age of 17, David ran out of places to visit and ended up on the streets. Even while living on the streets, David worked hard to stay in school. A social worker eventually connected with David and let him know about the youth shelter where he currently lives. Penny says he's been hopping trains for a few months now, but he's actually been doing it for over a year. Jimmy has been traveling for the better part of two years. She took a few months off to kick it in Los Angeles, but she says it's good to be back traveling and in New Orleans. Travelers are a group of homeless youth that travel. It's a nomadic lifestyle where they find community with others. Many were abused or neglected as children, often thrown away by their parents. Fellow travelers become their family, and drug use helps to ease the pain of childhood trauma. It was down to 42 degrees last night in Winnipeg. With the wind, I'm sure it felt much colder. Katie said she didn't sleep much, she mostly walked around to stay warm. As a result of a few bad situations and flawed relationships, Katie has been living on the streets for months. Surprise, don't be. Did you know low self-esteem is a thinking disorder in which individuals view him or herself as inadequate, unlovable, or incompetent? Once formed, this negative view permeates every thought, producing faulty assumptions, and ongoing self-defeating behavior. Did you know in the U.S., 25% of high school girls have been abused physically or sexually? Teen girls who are abused this way are six times more likely to become pregnant or contract a sexually transmitted infection. 33% of adolescents in America are victim to sexual, physical, verbal, or emotional. Now listen to this, dating abuse. That's a trusting relationship, supposedly. Over 70% of girls ages 15 to 17 avoid normal daily activities such as attending school when they don't like the way they look. Come on now. More than 40% of boys in middle school and high school are regularly exercising, trying to create muscle mass and taking steroids. 75% of the girls with low, low esteem reported engaging in negative activities such as cutting, bullying, smoking, drinking, or disordered eating. But there's more. 20% of teens will experience depression before they reach adulthood. You say to yourself, what can be so depressing about being a teen? Then back away and think. Think of our world today and the challenges. The top wish, and this got me, the top wish among all teen girls is for their parents to communicate better with them. We're talking about talking to the child that came through you, having a heart-to-heart -heart and spirit-to-spirit -spirit conversation. Why is that so hard to do? 
Seven in ten girls believe they're not good enough or don't measure up in some way, including their looks, performance in school, and relationships with friends. One in three young people will be in an abusive or unhealthy relationship. The tricky question is, what does an unhealthy relationship look like? Can you answer that? I'm very passionate about this topic today I was sharing with our guest. I have worked with, mentored, loved, laughed, and cried with young people walking down these paths in both a professional and volunteer capacity for about 30 years. At one point, I was principal of an alternative school of 800 young adults who had been in the court system, ages 10 to 18, boys and girls who had to be bussed in daily and searched as they entered and left. They had been discarded. I had to help them creatively problem solve, get in touch with their worthiness, and understand that their circumstances were not who they were created to be. They'd been thrown away. People had stopped expecting productive and positive behaviors from them, and they accommodated. I always felt if, if only I could do enough, but enough was big. What if you could positively impact and improve the quality of life of a young person in the United States? What would you do? In studio today, I am blessed with a guest who represents an agency that gets it. An agency that gets the many shades of brokenness in these kids. An agency that's not quick to judge, but to reach out, provide for, offer solutions, support creative problem solving. Most importantly, she represents the reality that what happens to these kids is not who they are. After a short break, we're going to unwrap the gift of Second Story, a story about life, gratitude, and inner strength. I want you to stay close now. And we are back. At this point in time, I want you to meet my guest. I'm going to have her introduce herself. Welcome, Jade, to the program. Thank you, Tyra. I'm really glad to be here. It is uh, a pleasure. I invited Jade as a result of hearing a presentation she made about an organization she represents, Second Story. And I said, Jade, uh, how did you get to this place? I mean, you could have been anything, anyone. How did you walk through this door, and what did it feel like? Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you, your history, and how you got to today? Sure. So I don't think that I ever thought that I would work for a nonprofit doing what I do now. Um, but today I am in charge of doing outreach and making sure that we get the word out there in the community about um, some of the homeless youth and the runaway youth who are facing many stri- uh, struggles and crises. And I just really love what I do. Um, but I think this passion has always been inside of me um, mm-hmm. and has a lot to do with my own personal life experience. Uh, I am from South Korea, and I came to the States when I was nine years old. Um, and when I think about my life before coming to the States, I just remember that we didn't have much, our family. We mm-hmm. didn't have a fancy house or a fancy car or anything like that. As a matter of fact, um, I think my father was just doing his best to um, provide for the rest of us. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I have one younger sister. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in a very small one-bedroom, um, I guess it's the basement of someone's house. We were renting. Um, but I never felt like I lacked anything. I felt like my life was great. I, I felt like it was, you know, filled with happiness. And, um, you know, my parents did whatever they could to make sure that we didn't um, fall behind, you know, gave us music lessons and spent as much time as they possibly could with us. And so I remember my childhood being just really, really great and fun. I heard you say something. I'm going to interrupt yeah. you. Uh, it's not necessarily the trappings that make for a happy childhood. Yes. Uh, I heard you say we were happy. We had each other. Yes. We had what we needed. And I think that's special. We have to remember that. Yeah, I never felt like we were missing anything. I felt like we had everything. So that was great. Um, And then I remember my parents letting us know that we were going to move to the States. My father's entire family was already here. Mm -hmm. So that was really exciting. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what America was. or I I had no idea or no concept of... um, of United States. And so um, I shared this with my friends in school, and I remember some kids being a little jealous. You know, they were, you know, spreading rumors and saying, oh my gosh, I heard that in, in America they have this and that, and instilling some fear inside of me, to be honest. And then there were some kids that were like, that's amazing. That's going to be so much fun for you. Um, and so I came, our family moved here, especially for me, it was just, I was full of excitement Good. and optimism. Good. Yeah. Um, So we came, and I don't think that we were prepared for the transition. Um, It was it was uh, we had to stay with our uncle and and aunt um, for about two months until we found a place of our own. Mm -hmm. And um, when we did find a place of our own, it was in a neighborhood that um, that wasn't very safe. Okay. Um, It reminds me a lot, actually, of one of the neighborhoods that we serve, Colmore, here in Bailey's Crossroads. Mm -hmm. So um, we settled there, and I remember my parents never wanted us to go out, go out because we were hearing of hearing about crimes in the neighborhood, Um, and so just the living condition just wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. Plus, my parents, of course, had to work around the clock. to save enough money for us to build a life here. So I did, we didn't have much supervision. Um, and I think a lot of people may be able to relate with me who came from, at a young age, came from a different country. You end up being, um, you end up taking on many roles. Yes, so yes, yes, yes. I, yeah, so I became uh, the translator, the babysitter, the cook, um, and everything else. Um, and I also learned the language much quicker than my parents because when you're young, yeah, you're just immersed. So what you're saying now, three things yes. happen. I used to work at Northern Community, uh, Northern Virginia Community College, mm-hmm. and one of the things I discovered in my own cultural competence is very often the children of the family become the translators. That they call them children in the middle. What I didn't know is in some cultures that it was almost taboo for a child to go to a doctor with a grandmother. And talk about what would happen there, the parts of the body, et cetera. And yet that was the only way that certain things. And then they had to go to school, to parent conferences and all. And so there you were, learning the language, helping your parents. Yes, and I didn't have a problem with it at first. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt like it was just my duty and it was something that, you know, I, I speak the language. Why not help mom and dad? But I think I started... 
resenting them a little bit because all of the friends that I had around me were going to soccer games and having slumber ah. parties and doing what young kids do. And um, at the time, I couldn't make sense of it. And I didn't understand why I couldn't do any of those things. And I couldn't understand why my parents weren't home or you know, why I had to take care of my younger sister, all of these things. I was immature. I mean, these things, you know, I was thinking about all of these things. And it, I think, um, so that was, that's how the transition started. And of course, for my parents, my goodness, you know, when they came, they were in their early 30s. And I can, and I realize this now because I'm an adult in Mm -hmm. my 30s. Mm -hmm. And I think about all the sacrifice that Mm -hmm. my parents had to make to transition to a new culture Yes. They left everything behind. They yes. left their friends. My mom left her entire family. Um, they had a life there. Mm-hmm. And they came here for us. And so mm. everyone, you know, it made sense that everyone had to make a sacrifice. But at the age of nine. What do you know? What do you know? Yeah. You don't. Um, so that happened. And then um, I think the less supervision you have as you go through your middle school years, um, and high school years, you start enduring problems, perhaps in your personal life, that you can't share with your parents. So even with that, though, there's it's a little more complicated because, mm-hmm. one, we have a language barrier. So my, my parents couldn't speak English. I did. Mm-hmm. They couldn't understand, although they wanted me to be one way at home and still practice my culture and respect them and, and behave the way I would back in Korea. Right. It was so different outside of the house, you know, at, at school and everywhere else. People expected something different of me. They wanted me to have my own thoughts and my opinions. And, you know, and, and so you're coming from a very collective way of thinking and then into a situation where you're encouraged to, of course, start thinking for yourself and to become an individual. Both are great. They both have pros and cons. But it was just really hard to make sense of at the time. So... Without having my parents around, of course, I started gravitating toward friends and also other friends, other kids in the school started gravitating toward me, and we all shared the same background, which was that we had not much supervision. I hear you. I hear Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And you start doing things and making mistakes and getting caught up in the wrong things, and that's how, that's what happened to me. I really did rebel in my teenage years. I don't think you're alone. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I am either. <laughs> I don't think you're alone. And and most of us didn't come from South Korea, okay? Yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> right. So um, I did. I rebelled. And my parents, my goodness, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know who to turn to for help. This is a f- completely new territory for them. They mm-hmm. don't know what resources are available. They didn't counseling or seeking help is a taboo in my culture. Right, right, right. Yes. So who do you talk to about this? Right? You've got a daughter who won't stay home, mm-hmm. you know, and who keeps leaving home. Mm-hmm. Who do you talk to? Uh, you can't share this. Of course, church is a, a big pillar in the community, in the Korean community. Yes, and I so knew you, that. Yeah, so you have friends and relatives and people who all go and share things. But I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been for my parents to keep all of that hidden inside. That's what that's what I was listening for. Yeah, uh, that's the door into shame, and shame is the thief of joy. Yes. And as I'm listening to you, of course, you're telling me things I didn't know, mm-hmm. and now I'm beginning to understand how 
you do what you do where you are, you can relate to. I can. Oh wow! I can. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think I would share this either, but I. Yeah, I did. I. I left home, and I. You know what's interesting is. Uh, and I will get to this, I know. But Second Story used to be called Alternative House. Right. I remember. And I grew up in Springfield, and there was a, I, I remember there used to be a, a, like a residence or some kind of building or facility, and I saw the sign outside Alternative House. I never knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I mean, had I known, maybe I would have also been able to use some help. It, but I did leave home. My parents didn't know what to do. They kept, but they never gave up. That, I think, is what brought me back. Mm-hmm. My parents always came looking for me, and um, and say it I, again, Jay. My parents always came back looking for me. There you go. And because of that, when I was ready to make sense of some of the hardships that I personally also had to endure during that those mm-hmm. tough years, um, I just couldn't. I couldn't let that part go. My par- I just knew I owed them everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why we are as strong as we are today as a family. I mean, we are so so close, um, but we have this history that bonds us in a way that's I think very special. Mm-hmm. So going back to I guess how I got introduced to Second Story, I I I um, eventually turned my life around. There was an aha moment for me. We and, like those, and I think it was in tenth grade. And okay, I, I woke up one morning and I was like, "What am I doing?" This is not who I am. Uh-huh. I've got a family who cares deeply for me. Mm-hmm. So I need to get my act together. So I did. I just, um, I was barely going to graduate from high school. I mean, not from my, I think it was 10th grade, mm-hmm. not high school, 10th grade. And I had to study and get my act together for the finals. And I did. And I, um, from there, it was all over. 11th grade, 12th grade, college, graduated with honors. My parents would often look at me and go, who are you? (laughs) Who are you? They were just really shocked at what happened. They couldn't make sense of it either. So um, I wanted to give that back. Okay. I have this piece of me that I cannot keep inside and hoard to myself. I've got something that I can share with other young people who may need to hear it from someone that look intimidating because they're an adult or maybe an authority figure or whoever, that they all have a story too. Yes, they all are a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so once they make that connection and go, oh, okay, um, so your life wasn't perfect either. Trust me. I mean, I never shared this because, you know, there are some boundaries, obviously. But they can feel it. They can feel it. They can feel it. And one of the things I discovered in my journey, the strongest gift I gave or the strongest key that opened the doors. I just showed up. Mm-hmm. I wasn't saying anything. I just showed up. And I go, well, Miss Tar, why do you keep coming? I said, because you're here. Yeah. And I care about you. Yeah. And then, you know, things happen. The relationship starts to build. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, so I'm not used to talking for this long. <laughs> so I wasn't sure. So um, that happened. And then I volunteered very briefly for a Korean counseling center. Okay. I don't even remember how that happened. I just remember, oh, I do. I was, I started a a multicultural marketing company. 
shortly after I graduated from college, and I was I did that for about I don't know seven years with a partner of mine, mm-hmm. and it was it did really well. We were really happy, and I think this organization reached out to me because they wanted a Korean American role model to talk to ah. some of the Korean American young people okay. who may benefit from having role models in the community. And so I went and I spoke to that group. It's all coming back to me now. Spoke to the group with another, a, a few other people on the panel. Mm-hmm. And I felt so, I don't know, it just was this rewarding experience that it just, I don't know, it just really opened my eyes to the fact that I can do much more than this. Yes. So from there, I talked to my cousin, who's also in the nonprofit world and is working really hard to bring awareness to hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked her, is there an organization that works with young people who are at risk? Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, you know what? I know a few friends who volunteered at Alternative House. So again, that was the name that we used to be before yes. Second Story. Um, why don't you go check them out? So I looked them up, looked it up, and I uh, found out about the organization and signed up to be a volunteer, and I got plugged into one of their community-based programs. Okay. And at the time, I didn't really know too much about Alternative House and the range of programs that mm-hmm. they offered. So um, I just got plugged into the neighborhood Colmore, and I was happy about that because I always heard about Colmore. Now, what is what is that? Colmore is a neighborhood that's in Bailey's Crossroad, right? Now, this is an international program, so what we have to do is That's kind of, right. Yeah. So in Northern Virginia, there's a neighborhood um, called Colmore. Mm-hmm. And Colmore is, Northern Virginia is one of the most affluent areas in the country. Yes. But there are still pockets of neighborhoods where um, the, the residents there are experiencing poverty and um, enduring lots of hardships. And there's, you know, lots of gang violence and mm-hmm. things like that. So Colmore I remember even when I was in high school, just my parents and other adults telling me, don't hang out there. There is MS-13 gang and there's all these gangs and it's not, you know, it's not safe. Um, so I was glad to to volunteer at Comor because I really wanted to see it for myself. And so I worked with the fourth through sixth graders there mm-hmm. in a program called the Comor Safe Youth Project at the time. Actually, it still is called that. Um, and... My goodness, I don't know. It just, uh, I walked in first day, saw a group of kids, these young kids in this tiny room doing homework and just being kids. Yes, rowdy, of course. Of course. Uh, But adorable as can be and just so full of life. And you would never know that they um, were experiencing anything outside of the ordinary What were were they experiencing that you found out? I found out a lot, actually. Um, I found out that they were living, a lot of them were living in very crowded um, two-bedroom apartments where multiple families were sharing one living space. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the living spaces were divided by curtains. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they would have someone renting by the hour. So they would be able to use part of the living room from 6 p.m. until the following morning, but then would have to vacate so someone else can use that space. So what happens to the kids as a result of that kind of, well, I won't say confusion because that's all they know. I think we can we can assume that. And again, because our programs were there, I got to see a lot of kids who were able to avoid some of the other outcomes that could be possible if programs like this didn't exist. But um, they could join gangs very yes, easy to do. Yes, there yes. are lots of older kids and older gang members and and adults 
um, that are looking and targeting young kids. That very cohort, yeah. Young as nine years old, human trafficking. Yep, that. Mm -hmm. Huge issue in Northern Virginia. Huge, yes. Where the average age of a young victim is 12. Mm -hmm. These are things that we can't fathom because we look around us and we go, again, Northern Virginia? Are you kidding me? What? How can this be happening in you know in this area? Well, it's happening. And mm -hmm. um, what else could be happening? I mean, a lot of the young people uh, what never about even, drugs. Drugs, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Drinking, alcohol. Um, nowadays, I can't. I don't even know half the drugs that the young people do. And they don't know what's happened in terms of the chemistry of the drugs over the years and what will do to them. Yes, they're just looking for escape. Yes. Dropping out of school. Yes, 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 yes. Education is a big focus at Second Story. And um, a lot of the teenagers that come to our teen center there, um, their family members before them have never even thought about going to college. Mm -hmm. And so when you're living with a single mother who is working around the clock to make sure that you don't get kicked out into the street. Yes. And as the first child in the family... When you graduate, the expectation is that you're going to go out and find a job right, right, right. to help your mother support the family. And so what we are trying to do is, of course, take some of these teens and take them to college campuses, mm -hmm. tell them about all of these scholarship opportunities and things that can really assist them, and also, of course, educating the parents. The parents are, lots of the parents that we work with are coming from very rural parts of their countries. Okay. Um, and where they're, of course, coming here to make a better living for themselves and for their family. And so they don't know what resources are available, just like my parents didn't know what resources are available. Mm -hmm. So um, the thought of these teens not being able to pursue higher education after high school, if, if they even make it to graduating high school, that's really, um, I'm so glad that we have our program there because I know that 13 of the high school students that we had graduated this year um, from the Comor Teen Center. Oh, and that's that wonderful. Just, yeah, things like that are just uh, That keeps really, you going. Really, absolutely, yeah. I know uh, when you're walking around in this space and you don't see any success, it's difficult to go every day. Yeah. But when you can see the light, if it's just one person, yep, you know you've done a miracle. Yep. So that and, and we'll talk. Okay, talk about the other kinds of programs because this is just one. This yep. is community based. It's just one program, and you know I am no longer working in the programs, but we've got so many program staff um, that work in our residential programs, as well as our community based programs who are so passionate mm -hmm. about this mission. Mm -hmm. And I've met some of the most incredible people who I don't know their life story. We don't go around asking for their personal story. But when I look at them and I look at some of the supporters, I have to believe that a lot of them share something, a part of them connect them to what these young people are experiencing, and that's why they invest in their future. So with that said, um, Second Story Alternative House, when we started, it was back in 1972, so that was about 45 yes, years ago. Yes, 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 yes. We had just the emergency shelter for young people, and at the time we were just called um, Juvenile, Juvenile Assistance League of McLean. And we had just a, a small shelter for minors, 
And from them, we've evolved a lot to mm-hmm. work with now. Um, sh- we have short-term programs, long-term programs. We work with not just minor runaways and homeless young people, but also with homeless young mothers who are pregnant or have yes, young, young yes. kids. Yes, critical. Mm-hmm. Who, like you said in your introduction, um, come from domestic violence background. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I think this was last year, as of last year, uh, the 10 women that were in our programs were all victims of domestic violence. Oh, my. Um, and that's staggering. And that's just, you know, really uh, scary to imagine. But, um, yeah, so domestic violence is a big factor in why our young mothers become uh, homeless. And then we've got a program, Second Store for Homeless Youth, yes. which work with high school students who are um, homeless <laughs> or running away from some sort of situation. Um, and those are our residential programs um, but aside from the Second Story for Homeless Youth program, all of our residential programs work with young people no matter where they're from. Okay, good, good. So, for example, if they're running away from Tennessee and they've got a family member here that they thought they could stay with, but then yes. turned out that they couldn't stay with them, right. um, we would we would be able to help them. Homeless Youth, Second Story for Homeless Youth is the only program that works with Fairfax County um, high school students. And that, that I want to just put a comma there because what people don't understand about programs, kids age out of programs. Yes. And when they age out, there's a gap. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And they're not prepared. And mm-hmm. that's the couch surfing. That's the train riding. And that's all the other things. Yeah. And that gap, I know we prepare dinner once a month. For absolutely that particular center and I, I got a chance just to sit down and chat with some of the young people there wonderful and it's a lifeline for them it's a lifeline for them it is and when you say it's the only one like that in Fairfax County the second richest county second or third in the United States that speaks volumes and it's not good volumes no second story for teens in crisis um, refers to the teen shelter that mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. in Vienna, Virginia. Yes. Um, and that is the only shelter of its kind for minors mm-hmm. in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. So for us, it is really important that we never have to close the door to that program mm-hmm. because it's our founding program. It's one, It's our first program. Yes. And it's where I and a lot of, along with other programs, a lot of people get to see the transformed lives of young people. Mm -hmm. To be out on the street, whether it's one night, two nights, or months or years, um, it's a very dangerous situation. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. No matter what age you are. No matter what age you are. Right. To be out there. And also a lot of our young people who didn't even know about our programs who had to go and stay in an adult homeless shelter. Yes. Oh, that's terrible. Young victims. Young I work people. with a lot of those those shelters. Young people are often victims of lots of things. Let me do this. Let me take a short break because I know you and I could get to talk and the show be <laughs> over and you. we'd still be talking. <laughs> but uh, let us take a short break. Sure. Again, stay close. And we are back. I'm hoping that we can focus a little bit on some very special moments for you, Jade. Maybe some memories of success stories or stories when you were volunteering that would paint a picture, an image in our listeners' minds. You could even start by walking through the door of Second Story. What does it feel like to a person? Uh, let's, let's use the program, the kids. 
that are homeless? What does it feel like when you walk through that door? What kind of, what will we see? What will we hear? What will we feel? We talk specifically about our teen shelter. Yes. Um, it will feel like home. You don't, even as a staff member, um, when every time I walk into our teen shelter, it doesn't feel like a shelter. It feels like a place where people care. You feel like yes, you've got, yes. I, I, I don't want to refer to our counselors as siblings, but <laughs> they almost are like siblings to um, a lot of the young people that are there because they're asking about how their day is and what they're going through and taking the time to ask them questions. Our volunteers come in and oftentimes just temporarily fill in the void of maybe um, a young person who for a young person who um, may have a single parent. And so if you just have a father figure and don't have a mother present Mm -hmm. and you have a volunteer who happens to be a woman Mm -hmm. asking you what you want to eat for dinner so that they can prepare a meal that you really want to eat, um, I have to imagine that that feels really nice for that young person. Um, So, yeah, I would use the word home. Um, It's very warm. Um, In the the program that I worked with again it's because that's where I have my personal stories um, success story I can share one Um, so the program that again I was in was is part of um, second story in the community and it's called Comore Safe Youth Project Mm -hmm. and this is not where the young people that come to our programs are homeless this is a preventative program that keep young people from having to enter um, a shelter in the future and so working with them and um, really building up their self-esteem and all of those things and exposing them to opportunities that they may not otherwise have. Mm -hmm. So this young man comes to mind. Um, I won't use his real name. Right. I'll call him Tom. Um, I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but... That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. He just had a really special place in my heart because he was, number one, smaller than all the other kids, so he was just... Just so adorable. Um, but he had such a, a sweet side to him. But what, what I got to learn over the course of the many months that I worked in that program was that um, his mother was working nights. And there were some rumors about what she did. No one knew for sure. Okay. But there was some speculation. Father le- left the family when he was really young. He had an older brother. And and abandoned the family. And but the older brother, Tom's older brother, was the favorite. Okay. So whenever father would come down from Maryland to come visit the family, he would just pick up the older brother and take him out for a fun day while Tom would be left behind at home. And of course mom is sleeping during the day and working right. at night, so he was alone. Mm-hmm. Um he had charisma for such a young boy. Um mm-hmm. he was I think about not eight years old, um, in my program. Um and he, every time we would have these study group times, so after school you come in, you open up your book bag, you take out your homework, and we would concentrate on doing homework for the first hour. Okay. And then sometimes we'd take turns and have the kids read read from a book that we were reading together mm-hmm. because many of them are reading below their grade level. Yes, yes. So that was one way that we could encourage, I could encourage them to do that. But every time it was his turn to read, he would, he would act out, he would, lash out he would get mad he would distract all the other kids he would start um i don't know having fits Mm -hmm. just really disrespectful um yelling almost just really acting out and i couldn't understand why so i pulled him aside and i talked to him for a little bit and said you know what's going on tom you know 
usually you're not like this. You're the one that always, you know, takes um, care of all the younger kids and and such a positive influence. But when it comes to reading time, you just seem to to come out of character and you're just some someone different. And I found out that it, he couldn't he couldn't read well. I all. knew I knew you were going there. Yes, and that broke my heart because he was such a bright kid, but reading was a challenge. And so his best friend in the program was actually a really good student. And so um, I came up with this buddy system where mm-hmm. you buddy up with someone and he trusted his best friend. And so they sat down and they read together and um, they did that every day together. And after about a month, he came up to me and said, Miss Jade, I finished the book with Frank. And I said, that's wonderful. Um, and I was really proud of him because not the not just at the fact that he finished the book, but at the fact that he felt proud of himself. Yes, he, yes. He gained that confidence. Every day after that, when we would go outside in the playground to give them some time to play, he would, instead of playing, read, read a book. Of course, of course. That's just one success story. And I just, you know, that's one life, one young person. So if you think about all the young people that are in our in all of our programs, mm-hmm. residential and community-based, and the impact that these these counselors and volunteers and program staff and everyone else who's pouring into their lives are making in these young people. And we can do that just through one agency. Just imagine. imagine. I know. I know. I wanted I wanted you to take about yeah. one minute, mm-hmm. Max, because you have an assignment. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me how you all get volunteers. I know they're volunteers. Do they just hear about it? Mm. I know they're compassionate people in the world, but how do they come through your doors? Before anyone commits to being a volunteer, we really encourage everyone, whether uh, in any capacity that, you know, if they're considering supporting us, to come to one of our open door information sessions. Right. That is an opportunity to come in and to see the shelter for yourself, hear directly about our big, big picture goals. Um, learn about all of our programs, hear about the issues that some of our young people face, and really understand how they can fit into the organization. And that way, if they do decide to volunteer or give monetary support, they know how they're going to be impacting Second Story. That's wonderful. I I give an assignment to each of my guests, and sometimes we run out of time, and I don't want to do that because I actually have a sneak peek at Jade's letter, but I ask each one of my guests to write a letter to her or his younger self, and I'm going to ask her to read this, and then we're going to come back and do some things, and I have a big question for her if we have time at the end. So, Jade, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. I'll go ahead and try to read this fast. Um, You don't have to read it fast. I will take my time. Okay. (laughs) Dear Eugen, This is a hard letter to write because it reminds me of what you had to go through to get me to this point in my life. But because of your experiences, I am now uniquely fit to help young people who may be faced with some of the same challenges that we both can understand, and for that, I am grateful. I believe that most people start life with hope and optimism. You were no different. You grew up in a loving home, and everyone had high hopes for your musical future. To your parents, you were a star and their source of pride. There was joy and security in your life, and you were all very happy. When your parents decided to move to the States, you thought that would be the beginning of a new adventure. You looked forward to making new friends, trying new foods, and learning new things. You thought life would resume as normal, just in a new place with much more fun. But things didn't turn out as you imagined, and your family experienced many painful hardships and challenges that tested all limits. 
So many things happened in your middle and high school years, and you felt you had to bear the burdens of your trauma and confusing teenage years alone. Your parents tried to help, but the cultural divide plunged you further into frustration and anger, eventually replaced all the joy you once had. Those were tough years for you and everyone who remained committed to staying by your side. However, patience and unwavering love eventually won you back. What a beautiful story God gave us. It keeps me grounded every day and serves as a reminder to never judge a person by their situation or circumstance and to never forget that everyone has a story. Because of your story, today I am able to see through the exterior layer of broken young people and focus on the hopes and dreams that they all possess. Isn't it amazing how in hindsight we can make sense of even the most painful parts of our lives? There are so many young people right here in our community who face their fears alone and have nowhere to turn. For some, their worldview is shattered by a violation and trust by someone they knew, while others keep their keep years of sexual, physical, and verbal abuse to themselves until, until they can't take it anymore. I've seen eight- and nine-year-old girls and boys try to cover up the cut marks on their arms with long-sleeve uh, long shirts and hair ties, and when asked why, reply with three simple words, I don't know. My heart breaks for these young people because I know that they all harbor deep-rooted pain that will fester into something even more devastating if we as a community don't intervene. I am able to make sense of all of this now because you're a part of me and I know that what you went through prepared me for situations such as these. Because you held on to hope and gained so much more than you had envisioned for your life, I know there is hope for the thousands of young people who come to Second Story for help each year. When we're young, we think we have everything figured out. We pretend to be strong so that we don't get hurt. We want the freedom to make our own decisions and don't think about the consequences that may follow. But I, as your latter self, have learned that some consequences can be prevented if caring people take the time, take the time to ask the right questions and listen. Persistence, dedication, and love together is the key to helping a young person break the cycle of silence and moving them forward. I've seen it happen many times at Second Story, just the way it happened for you. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the wisdom you've given me and the perspective I've gained as an adult. I still have a long way to go in my journey toward healing and self-discovery. However, I know that for now, I am right where I'm supposed to be, helping young people write their own second stories in a place where they feel safe and heard. Thank you. You know, Jay, there, there are certain people that I connect with when they come in here and I just want more of them and you are one of those uh -huh. and I want you to come back uh, you know this uh, this segment of our population touches my soul yeah so frequently I uh, like to end the story with what I call my spiritual doggy bag uh, for some positive thoughts that people can take with them and I'm going to share some of that right now. Um, as we journey through our personal and professional lives, there will inevitably be periods of incredible frustration and despair. During those tough times, it will sometimes appear to us that we've lost everything and that nothing and nobody could possibly motivate us to move forward in the direction of our dreams. We are all holding with us a backpack of support that comes in many forms. It can be a simple email or text message from someone we respect, an inspiring blog post, insightful books, helpful neighbors, supportive communities, and so much more. But what I want to say today is uh, 
directed to our youth and for those of you who love them. Our youth are our legacy. We may not have the answers we need immediately to the challenges, and they may not have the answers they need for the challenges they were born with. But here's what I want you to believe. You have everything you need inside of you to be the person that you were created to be. Do not listen to the readily available lives, and we've talked about where so many of those lives can come from. I want to tell you some things that the mirror won't tell you. And I want you to listen carefully. First of all, you opened two gifts this morning. They were your eyes. Every day you wake up, it is God saying to you, it's not over. You are more than who you have become. Now see and know this. Although each of us came here with a unique set of fingerprints, although each of you is a designer's original, created to do what no one else can do like you, there's some common attributes and qualities that you share. And when the going gets tough, when you're feeling utterly down and discouraged, you need to remember, you are a miracle. You are important. You are stronger than you feel, stronger than depression, stronger than suicide. You're smarter than you think. You have multiple intelligences. You're more beautiful than you believe. Think about this. The ugly duckling was always a swan. You are more loved than you can ever believe. And your story has not been read. And your song has not been heard. I want you to know I am here and I hear you. I'm here to listen inspire and coach you into your courage. I'm here to help you to open the inaccessible areas of your heart. You are worthy. You're not alone. You're not your circumstances. Nothing that has happened to you in this life will be wasted. Refuse to be refused. Your voice will save you. I hear you, and I am here. Till next time.